Coulson is a history teacher who makes his own soap. Yeah. <laughs> Hilariously <laughs> makes his own fucking soap. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> Framework Phil Coulson was so ready for 2020 and he didn't even know it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the Marvelous Madams Podcast. We're your hosts, Madam Chris. And Madam Amy. We are burdened with the glorious purpose of talking all things Marvel. Madams, assemble. Ladies and any gents, welcome to the show today. We made it. We made it, Amy. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we have officially binge-watched Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. six seasons in four weeks. Less than that. Dude, significantly less than that. About. No, no. Well, for me, less than that. For me, more like two and a half weeks. Yeah, that's because you're insane. That's because I've never actually binge-watched a show like this before. I am not a person who can do that. So in order to save my sanity, yes, I watched all of season six in a single day because I couldn't bear the thought of waking up again for Groundhog Day. (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't do it. I don't know how you were able to speak a single sentence after that how the fuck does someone watch 13 episodes in a day holding their laptop in one hand and vacuuming with the other that's how i have been dreaming about this show well so have i yeah and we managed to get through this one without being kidnapped two without being sucked into a monolith three uh without being hurtled through space and time and not being sucked into a framework Yes. Yes. Not being trapped in some sort of closet uh, for weeks on end in a crazy virtual reality time loop. Yeah. Well, speak for yourself. I'm still in the closet. (laughs) Touche, but technically I am also in one. uh, My millennial recording studio. So we're just in different types of closets. Yours is more metaphorical and mine is quite literal. Girl, I am so in the closet over here. I can find Narnia. I'm going to pretend to know what that means. You know, you've not seen the Chronicles of Narnia? No. Narnia is through the closet. Like you, you get in, you find Narnia through the closet. Narnia is a magical place. Yeah. Narnia, is it? It's a magical place. Yeah. Fuck me. <laughs> is it now? Is, is it now? <laughs> this is why this is why we needed to get through this show. It's entered into our subconscious. It's taken over. This is kind of like how I also said, uh, I'm going radio silent. Yes. Yeah. For those of you who don't know what we're talking about, listen to the very end of our previous episode. Okay, everybody. So... Uh, after our our seasons one through three episode, we definitely had a better handle on how to cover uh, four through six for you guys. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to go by each season and just give you a very quick one or two sentence bare bones summary 
of the season. And then we're going to talk about the new characters and whatever insanity happened uh, to our beloved S.H.I.E.L.D. team during this season. You know, I have to say, I am exhausted just watching all the craziness that happens. I can't um, understand how these guys are actually doing this work, acting on these stories day by day. How are they keeping this stuff straight? I I imagine it's similar to the, the serial killer murder board Kevin Feige must have somewhere with lines going everywhere and yarn and pins and got to be something like that. Either that or they probably just forget what happened in the previous season. Because that's the only sane way. Entirely possible. You got to dump this shit at some point. I will say this, and this is not to say that there aren't things about the seasons that I love. I absolutely do. There are always things to enjoy on the show. But here are my general feelings regarding these seasons. Uh, So season four, absolutely love it. For the most part, 95%. I am wholly on board. Season five. Oh, my favorite season. Yes. Season four. Yes, me too. Uh, Season five, however, can go fuck itself. (laughs) and season six can also go fuck itself and catch herpes in the process (laughs) i've managed to find things to love in season five and six i think on rewatch it's um it's better and i actually kind of went down another rabbit hole in season six (laughs) amy is just covered in dirt people there's been a lot of rabbit holes in the last couple of weeks (laughs) Yeah, we'll get to that there. But let me just say this. I, do n- I don't like Fitzsimmons, as anyone who's heard the previous episode knows. But I do like Skimmins, or otherwise known as Bioquake. And you have no clue what I'm talking about, do you? Not a bit. Skimmins, or Bioquake, is a ship name for Sky, a.k.a. Daisy Johnson, a.k.a. Quake, and Gemma Simmons. I'm a big fan of the friendship, and we'll get to that later on. Although... Yeah, the friendship, I enjoy. But yeah, there was one particular scene in season four that was like, oh, fuck me. I don't need another non-canon ship to ship. No, (laughs) but here I am. Oh, and one last note before we get started, everybody. Uh, Stick around to the end of the show, because we are going to read some tweets that we got in response to some Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.'s questions we asked on social media. All right, so here is the uh, Spark Notes version, <laughs> dating myself there, of season four. <laughs> With Daisy Johnson back on the team, S.H.I.E.L.D. has to stop a rogue life model decoy from using a book called The Darkhold to trap them inside a virtual reality while the LMD named Ada becomes human and presumably takes over the world. All right, so that's the bare bones for you. Now let's get into it. I'm looking forward to this because I do enjoy season four and oh my God, Ada is hot. Yeah, I just, um, yeah. Yeah, eh, for you, but not for me. Hey, I'll join any framework for her. (laughs) Oh God, you'll never come out. That's fine by me as long as she's, you know, smooching my face off rather than fit. Did you just say smooch? Are you 90 years old? (laughs) I couldn't think of another word. Oh, my God. (laughs) Who even are you? This from the woman who had to explain to me a month ago what chip meant. Okay, so do you know what what came to my mind right away, Amy, opening up season four? Ada's hot? No. Well, we don't open up with 
it ends season four anyway. No, what struck me is I finally figured out why I can't stand Mac so much. And why? Well, what it comes down to, look, I'm sure he's a nice guy. Maybe he's a saint. I don't know. But I'm sorry, Henry <laughs> Simmons. You, sir, are a terrible actor. Oh, come on. Anytime he needs to get emotional, all he does is just like clench his jaw till it might break. And that's how he lets and everybody all his brows. Yeah. And that's how he lets everybody know that he's sad, Mac, or angry, Mac, or whatever other emotion he might be feeling. And I just can't. <laughs> I'm like, go back to the, the soap opera that you swam it on. I just because I just can't with you. <laughs> I'm not a fan of the whole Bible thing, though. Oh, don't, don't get me started. I mean, the guy has gone to outer space. He's he's lived in a freaking virtual reality game. And he's seen different alien species. And he still thinks there's one God. Thank you. That is exactly what I have been thinking. How much else do you need to see, Mac, for you to at least have an open fucking mind before I take that Bible and shove it up your ass? I will get on a ladder and shove it up your ass. <laughs> God. Um, his ass is so tightly wound, I think you'd need Melinda's help. Maybe. Um, Either that or you'd probably need... Um, Yo-Yo's robotic arms and super strength to actually get it up there. Now, Yo-Yo I'm totally on board for, for. I absolutely love her. Although I have to question her judgment. What the hell she sees in Mac, I'll never know. I don't see what's the, the, the appeal of their relationship, honestly. I know. The guy doesn't speak. I couldn't care less about the two of them as a couple. Every time they're on screen together, I'm just like tapping my, tapping my toe like, all right, can we get, can we move on here? <laughs> Can we get to something that matters? Yeah. And I'm just like, what What are you doing with him? Is it is it the religion thing that, that the two of you have in common? Because you could do... Yeah, that seems to be the only thing, right? She could do so much better. I agree. Yeah. I just, I don't even know. But yeah, this, this season, you know, so in the beginning here, we have Daisy coming back and rejoining the team. And... I will say this. I do like her look. Yes. As Quake... Uh, Without the, the uniform, you know, and the regular grungy sort of look. I do like that. Yeah, I thought it was a nice change of pace. And what I really yeah. love about her return to the team is Coulson's reaction. How so? He's such a dad. It's yeah. lovely. He, he, he says to her at one point, I'm just glad you're safe. And he doesn't push. He doesn't pry. None of that. He gives her the space that she needs. Absolutely, yes. He just... Tells her, okay, we need to do this. He doesn't get emotional He because he knows the moment he tries to bring her back, she will push away. Yes, that's true. Yeah, he knows his people very well. Yeah. Yeah, sign of a good leader. He knows Daisy better than most. That's true. Uh, so we start out here too, uh, introducing, we have a few new characters that we need to talk about in season four. Uh, so quick rundown there. We are going to be talking about uh, Jeffrey Mace, uh, the new director, uh, Senator Nadir, Dr. John Radcliffe, played by John Hanna, who I absolutely love. Well, technically, he's not a new character. He was there in season three, but he had a small role. Yeah, so he, he's role. a main character here. So, uh, And then we have yeah. the aforementioned Ada, 
Oh, man. Followed by Anton Ivanov, who I do believe is the love child of Liev Schreiber and Bradley Cooper. Yeah, I couldn't be bothered. I couldn't care less about it. I him. know. Uh, and then we have uh, who we're going to discuss right now, Robbie Reyes, a.k.a. the Ghost Rider, whose CG is really fucking cool. Oh, yeah, absolutely. They did a really good job over there. Uh, so we've got this whole crazy kind of ghost storyline going on. Yeah, we've got a f- we've got a few scientists who are kind of like stuck in this crazy dimensional vortex kind of deal, and May ends up getting infected by this thing. And man, Ming Na Wen is fantastic. Oh yeah, yeah. She the way she did scared, yeah. fantastic. Yeah, crazy dying May is absolutely epic. Yeah, and we get to see her again later yeah. on. You know why? Because Ming-Na Wen is always being fucking manhandled by somebody on this show. <laughs> this poor, <laughs> tiny little woman. And I swear, I did not realize just how tiny she was till later on in season four when she's barefoot and like just wearing a tank and sweats. I'm like, holy shit, I tower over this woman and I'm tiny. <laughs> yeah, she's 5'4". She's is that all she is? Is that I thought she was I thought yeah. she was smaller. Okay, then I'm the same size as her. According to her IMDb, she's five. Okay. Four. Although I have no doubt that she could crack my spine in half if she wanted to. She can take both of us and come out standing. Yes. Without question. Although I wouldn't mind if she took me. Yes, this we know. Because <laughs> <laughs> you've been so subtle about it. So we also have this continuing plot line of the inhumans living on Earth and, you know, being forced to live in seclusion because they're being hunted by a group called the Watchdogs. So uh, the mouthpiece for this anti-inhuman uh, watchdog group is Senator Ellen Nadir. Um, so my first thought was, hmm, this is the first time, I believe, that we have showed a woman who could be seen as either Middle Eastern or Indian, Pakistani, like from that region in power. And we're going to turn her into a Nazi monster? <laughs> really? <laughs> uh, Senator Nadir is played by Parminder Nagra. She's an English actress, but of Indian descent. Okay. So she also has a brother named Vijay. Uh, who has gone through terror genesis. Uh, He's the poor dude. Okay, first off, I have to say this. Nadir is is an Islamic name. Ellen is a white English name for all I know. Vijay, otherwise Vijay, is a Hindu name. Yeah, so they're they're pretty all over the place. And here's the other thing. At some point, we're told that the Nadir family, uh, that Vijay and Ellen, come from Edison, New Jersey. Now, as I grew up about 20 minutes from Edison, New Jersey, and have lived near it and have spent a significant amount of time uh, window shopping the malls of Edison, New Jersey, I know that it is probably the largest... Definitely the largest Indian population in New Jersey, possibly the largest Indian population in the Northeast. And I thought to myself, really? Yes. 50% of me thought, hey, good on you writers for doing some research and finding out where the Indian population would be. But 50% of me said, hold up. Are you making them from Edison just because you think all Indian people come from there? (laughs) I wasn't really sure how to feel about that one. 
I wouldn't know. I was generally pissed that they chose a woman of of color of this particular color to be this like Nazi mouthpiece as if, yes, as if, you know, a woman who's from an area of the world where women are so viciously repressed. Yeah, they're the problem. True. But I guess the juxtaposition of her being a woman of color from an uh, an oppressed ethnicity could be so bigoted. So yes, it could be equal opportunity. And another thing of it is the juxtaposition of it, because you would expect someone to be, you would expect a white person to be more xenophobic than um, a person of color. Gee, I can't imagine why. (laughs) As an American living in Texas, I'm stumped. So I guess just basically having a person of color on purpose would be more shocking. Eh, Maybe. I don't know. I'm still still mulling that one over. But man, she's a real sweetheart. Killing her own brother because he went through terogenesis. <laughs> she's just real. Yeah, that's that's a whole nother level of xenophobia. It's kind of it kind of reminded me of uh, the honor killings that a lot of like super religious Islamic families do. But I do have to say, it was kind of cool the way VJ uh, after she killed him and they dumped the body and he he went down into the ocean and, and reformed back into Terragenesis to rise again. I just love how that goes absolutely nowhere. Hey, we still have season seven left. Yeah, but VJ went into the goddamn water in, in 2016 or 17, whatever. I'm sorry. He's not resurfacing in 1931 in Manhattan. Who says the entire season could be in 1931? <sighs> it's true, I guess. I feel like he was just forgotten. Mm. Because after all, he he is a he is a man of color, and what is a man of color on Agents of Shield except a convenient tool? <laughs> we'll get to it. Yeah, yeah, but don't discount these guys coming back into coming back into the present or whatever it is, because you know how crazy the and convoluted the timelines and story can get. Oh, that's true. Never say never. So, uh, moving on from the delightful Senator Nadir, we also meet. Uh, Jeffrey Mace and uh, the new director of S.H.I.E.L.D. And you were super excited for me to meet him as I was watching. Yeah. At first, you know, I took him for, oh, this guy is is just another politician. He's just being the face. You know, I think Phil did the right thing, stepping down and making that change. But by the end of the season, I was a thousand percent team Mace. And why did you think that uh, Colson stepping down was the right choice? I think he, he needed to stay, take a step back for objectivity, for his own sanity. I think um, it was best for him to get out of the spotlight for a while. And I think Shield. I think it was important to make an inhuman the face of Shield, even if it turns out he wasn't. Yeah, they were lying. Yeah, I think perceptions mattered. I think Phil was right about that. I mean, th- shit happens and things need to change, but I think it was a smart move on Phil's part. Um, I don't think it was a smart move or a tactical move on Phil's part. I think it was more emotional because he wanted to spend time finding Daisy. Oh, I hadn't thought about that. Because we see end of season three, he's tracking her and and beginning of season four, He's still tracking her. Have you noticed how we just went from last episode from Coulson to Phil in this episode because we've spent the last 86 hours with this man and we feel like we're buddies? (laughs) 
Yeah, there seems to be a lot of subconscious things going on. Yes. Maybe. A thousand percent. <laughs> uh, and, you know, the whole thing with his prosthetic hand, uh, you know, in season three, I thought it was a cheap trick, but now it really cracks me up because they've made it a running joke that his, you know, that it's just Clark Rick's real hand is this prosthetic hand. I love it. Yeah. And uh, I mean, it, again, it's it's a tool, right? Anytime needed, the shield comes out. I think I love that bit. I love that bit, though. Yeah, it's silly, but I fucking love it. He's like, look at me, I'm cat yeah. too. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Mace. You know, he really is an Avenger. Yeah, he absolutely is. Nobody has more heart than Phil Coulson. Absolutely. Except maybe Jeffrey Mace. Honestly, he reminds me so much of young pre-serum Steve Rogers. Jeffrey Mace is the real deal. He takes the same attitude that Steve did, you know, when he was going around trying to enlist, saying, I've got no right to do any less than my part. Yeah, true. He's like, I, I know I have a role to play. I want to do what's right. Let me help. What can I do? I want to be more than just the face, than a mouthpiece. Yeah, and the interesting bit, um, we, of course, we will discuss the framework and all of that, but his biggest regret is that he isn't inhuman. Yes, because that would have helped the cause. That's how dedicated he was. That's really telling of someone. I think the framework did a lot to show us who the, who these characters really are. Agreed. Yeah, this season is really deep. It says a lot about humanity and the steps we take in life and decisions we make. I, I love it. Yeah. And the perception of what's real, what's not. Yes. And how much control we have over things just based on our perceptions. Yeah, true. About how, how much we can control in our lives by just changing our mindset or changing the way we look at the world. True. And also how certain decisions that we could have taken may have changed the course of not only just the world, but our life. And of course, in the S.H.I.E.L.D. world, it's a lot, lot larger, a uh, lot larger stakes. Yes. But just in our life. Yeah. And like I, small decisions and we can be completely different people. Yeah. I think it's very well done. And Ghost Rider's, yeah. Ghost Rider's arc is a big part of that, where we find out he, you know, blamed why he blames himself for his brother's accident and, para and subsequent paralysis and, you know, how he became the Ghost Rider. And, you know, Gabe, Gabe Reyes, Robbie's younger brother, yeah. is he's one of my favorite minor characters in this season. I love this kid. Why so? Because of his attitude. He has such a positive attitude and such an inner strength that, you know, when he finds out what his brother is and what he's been doing, he's like, oh, no, no, no. Don't you put that shit on me. I'm fine with my life. Yeah. Yeah. Like, how, da how dare you go around spilling blood in my name when you're doing it for yourself? That kid could easily have played the victim a hundred times over, but he wants no part of that mindset. Yeah, not at all. I mean, I really identified with that character. Um as you know, at that age, as a teenager, I was, I struggled with very serious uh, chronic health issues. And there were many times that I could have sat around having a pity party, playing the victim, but I, you know, chose the same route as Gabe and, you know, fought for my life at every turn. So, you know, I really identified with him. He's a great role model out there, you know, for 
not just kids, but anybody watching this show. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Now, we've got to talk about Uncle Eli, t- uh, Uncle Eli here, too, played by uh, Jose Zuniga. Oh, he's the complete opposite. Yeah, he's been around a long time. I love it when he pops up on things. He's another guy who shows up and commits. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and I mean, when when he reveals himself as the driving force behind this uh, evil Darkhold, you know, the speech he gives to Robbie talking about how condescending people have been to him in academia his entire life and how hard he had to work. I had to wonder, like, for him as a Hispanic actor, how much of that was true in his own life? Like, how much was he channeling of his own journey in that moment? Oh, I'm sure he must have pulled in a lot of his own interactions and his own experiences. Yeah, I mean, he's one of those guys where it's like, oh, man, he should be leading a show somewhere. Why isn't he? Yeah, he is very talented. Mm -hmm. But because of, again, the color of his skin, the way he looks, he wouldn't get those chances. Things are getting better now, but still, we're not quite there yet. I'm sure he must have brought in a lot of that frustration uh, into this role. And you know what is nice, though, is that 20 years ago, Jose Zuniga would be playing roles where they just needed a Hispanic guy. But now he gets to play roles where they just need a scientist or a doctor or whatever it might be. And the color of his skin, you know, isn't playing into it. I've, I've noticed that in roles I see him popping up in. Well, that's good. And there's another running theme uh, throughout this season that uh, Yo-Yo really puts her finger on. And it's a, it's very simple. But at one point she says, smart people are stupid. <laughs> and it, it's, it's totally yeah. on target. And I think that goes even for Fitzsimmons. Oh, yes. We have some very smart people doing some very stupid, very dangerous things in this season because nobody ever fucking learns. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Tony Stark and Bruce Banner created a murder bot that nearly destroyed the world. You'd think we would stop creating murder bots. And they actually referenced that in the beginning of season four. Yeah, for good reason. Yeah. They all, these scientists, uh, these scientists always think everything's going to be a-okay. Nobody's going to use their work for any nefarious purposes. No, no, that never happens. No, I think, well, a a lot of the entire mess that happened with Ada was uh, thanks to Fitz. But he does have a point. At one point, he does say that we have to progress. We have to experiment. We have to try new things because... Uh, electricity can give you light and it can also electrocute you and kill you. That doesn't make electricity inherently bad. Droids always turn in to murder bots. And this is something that... You're sounding like Mac. I was just going to say, this is one time I have to agree with Mac. (laughs) The one and only time. Droids always turn into fucking murder bots. Have you never seen Terminator? I think you've seen too much Terminator. It's funny at one point, Max says that about Radcliffe, I believe, that we we should make him watch every Terminator movie. And and Yo-Yo goes, oh, God, (laughs) even Terminator Salvation? He's like, he brought this on himself. (laughs) I was dying. And, you know, another thing that they, they bring in, and this goes to the point of, you know, them talking about Ultron, is that it's here in season four that they really start leaning in 
the writers do and acknowledging the absurdity of the show within the show. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah, they have to at some point. They can't take themselves so seriously. Yeah. Because the show is absurd and we love it for it. Uh, As Daisy returns to the team, she also recruits Robbie Reyes, a.k.a. Ghost Rider, uh, to join the team because it appears he's the only creature that can kill uh, these mad scientists who are trying to get a hold of this book called The Darkhold. Yeah. And The Darkhold causes so much trouble. Yeah. Yeah, it's a problem. Uh, And they're kind of playing hot potato with it, too, throughout the season. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, don't forget. The reason why this whole this whole thing became such an issue was because Ada read the Darkhold in order to save Coulson and Fitz. All right. So since we're talking about the Darkhold, we need to talk about uh, Dr. John Radcliffe, played by John Hanna. Um, he doesn't have good luck with books, does he? He didn't have good luck, good luck with a book in The Mummy either. Now that I think about it. Yeah. So John Radcliffe, is he's supposed to be... So Dr. John Radcliffe is supposed to be acting like a good boy while basically in S.H.I.E.L.D. custody, working with them in lieu of going to prison for the stunts he pulled in season three. However... Yeah, I must say this. He is a very slippery character. He manages to talk his way out of trouble in any and all situations. Yes. Yeah. Which is why he was perfect for this role. Yeah. Uh, so instead of being a good boy, just sitting around with Fitz watching soccer, he he's actually been creating, well, we should say recreating uh, his former girlfriend and turning her into a life model decoy named Ada. Uh, Ada, Ada, Ada. Are you done? <laughs> People, this is all I've been hearing about for the last week. You gotta admit, though, she has acted really yeah, well. Yeah, she does. I'm not sure what the actress's name is, but she does a fantastic job in this role, it, which could not have been easy. No, absolutely not. She's playing, what, three, four characters. Yeah, yeah. and she's, you know, th- I'm sure this wasn't filmed in sequence, so she's jumping back and forth between these different identities. Uh, overall, great performance. Yeah, absolutely. So I think it's pretty quickly, like, we see initially... Um, she takes a liking to Fitz. Yeah, I mean, she kind of flashed him the minute she saw yeah. him. Even as a droid, she seems to, like, take a liking to Fitz. Yeah. So... I, I don't see why. Well... Goes to show artificial, inte- artificial intelligence doesn't have good taste. Well, that's where we differ. Anyway, you know, Radcliffe kind of is like, let's keep this on the down low. Don't tell anybody. That sort of deal. And the trouble really starts when... Uh, Fitz, Coulson, and Robbie Reyes get stuck in this, like, ghost dimension because of Eli Morrow's work with the Darkhold. And Ada needs to read the Darkhold in order to save them. Because it's not for human eyes. Yeah. (laughs) It'll drive you mad. Yeah. Well, John Radcliffe read it too. Yeah, which is why he gets, you know, the Darkhold is almost like Loki's scepter. In that it it doesn't control the mind, but it influences the mind and it exacerbates a person's more negative qualities. From what they do explain on the show, the Darkhold basically shows you a way to achieve what your deepest desires are. So the answers are different for everyone. Right. So if your deepest desires are nefarious, uh, no bueno. 
or if your your deepest desires might be well intentioned, but the road leading to them uh, might be bloody. Yeah, well, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Yeah. So, and we can see that as Radcliffe towards the end of the season, he does admit that. This was not what he wanted. This was not what he envisioned. Yeah, he's kind of pathetic, and and we'll get to that. So as far as Ada goes, in a nutshell, the Darkhold gives her information that she uses to try and become a sentient human. That's her goal. She becomes a sentient being. She starts to find loopholes in her programming and turns into one crazy sadistic bitch. Yeah. I mean, well, she is experiencing all the emotions for the first time. Well, well a bit over- overwhelming, and that that's very well done, and we'll get there. Uh, but she enlists yeah. Radcliffe. They, you know, they start working together, and one of the big one of the big threads of the season, of course, is that they kidnap May and replace her on the team with an LMD May. Yeah, who is not aware that she's an LMD. Yeah, and that's so sad. Like that was kind of heartbreaking. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, like it was it was crazy. It's like I knew this thing wasn't a human, but I still felt bad for it. And there's a lot of that. Like a, there's a lot of discussion and and pontificating in in this season about where is the line between human and machine. Yeah, I mean, you say that she wasn't human, but you still felt bad for her because she was in her mind, human, she she still had all her human memories. Right. She just had a different body. Right. Now I have a question. Here's what I'm not clear on. I feel like this is a gigantic plot hole that you could drive a truck through. Okay. These are May is a machine with metal tech like techie parts and this LMD is with the team for weeks. I understand she's got May's memories. That's totally fine. But uh, she's not noticing for several weeks that she hasn't taken a shit or gone pee. No one's noticing, hey, May doesn't seem hungry ever. When's the last time she's eaten? They, they basically live together. Well, here's the thing. One, she is drinking. We've seen her drinking and uh, not eating, but drinking for sure. Yeah, where is it going? What, what's going on with that? Because it doesn't make sense. It, it just, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense, yes. Hey, who knows? Maybe they've put in some kind of pouch inside to yeah. accumulate everything. and she'd, ha- she'd have to empty the pouch, thus knowing she's an android. Well, that's the thing. Have you, You've not seen Westworld, no. right? No. Okay. So for uh, spoilers for guys, um, I don't know if it's really spoilers, but so in Westworld, um, it's a show which th- there's this entire city inhabited by androids and real human beings go there. It's kind of like Disneyland, but a really sadistic version of Disneyland. And these androids don't know that they are not human. They think they're real people with real lives. And if anything they see, and Westworld is set in the Western era, you know, the whatever, 1800, whatever time that is. So if they see anything that doesn't jive with what they believe is 
to be true. They just go, it doesn't look like anything to me. So their programming rejects it. Okay. Okay. That I can, I wish they had been a little clearer on that. Let's put it that way. Hey, I'm putting Westworld into this. This this came out earlier. So th- I'm putting the Westworld logic into this. That does make sense, though. They they touch on that a little bit with Ada, though, about her programming, about circumnavigating or finding loopholes in the programming. So I feel like they could have, like, just inserted a line with May. The team does successfully use the Darkhold to get Fitz and Coulson and Robbie Reyes back. But then they realize, oh, you know what? This thing seems a little bit dangerous. Maybe we should put it in another one of our super secure vaults because that's always worked in the past to keep things safe. <laughs> well, to be fair, it did up to a point. No, it didn't. They invaded the fridge in season one and took the fucking gravitonium machine. Yeah, this was another super secret vault. Nothing is ever safe on this show. Ever. <laughs> Yeah, well, if everything was safe and everything was hunky-dory, then we wouldn't be interested in the show, would we? True. So we find out that Coulson Coulson gave the Darkhold to the most reliable hands he could think of for safekeeping. And those hands belong to the Koenig family. Which one? Billy? Oh, I forget who started out with it. But like I said, they played hot potato with it. It's, it's Sam and Billy. And then we meet... We meet Thurston doing some terrible stand-up. Yeah. Uh, and we also get to meet their sister, L.T. Koenig. And I swear, this is my yeah. favorite fucking episode of this show. <laughs> I love it so much. I can't, I just, I, I've never been a fan of Patton Oswalt's stand-up, but I love him on TV. I love him whenever he pops up. Yeah, he does a really good job anywhere that he shows up. Yeah, so the whole point of this is Sam gets uh, kidnapped by Anton Ivanov, who is kind of pulling all the strings here behind the scenes. And Yeah, he's the real head of Watch Dogs. Yeah. So it's this crazy episode where uh, Sam ends up getting put into... Sam gets put into... Is it the framework? Or is it the, just the, the memory machine? No, he gets put into some kind of virtual... Yeah, he's kind of going through the framework, but like a baby version of it. Yeah. So Ivanov is using this specialized machine to try and mine uh, Sam's memories. And I just, I love it so much. They think they found a bomb or whatever. It turns out to be a fucking Darth Vader alarm clock. (laughs) It's amazing. He's like, hey, where's my puppy? Who took my puppy when he comes out of it? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they took away my puppy <laughs> yeah i'm just sitting there yeah. laughing my ass off like oh i love this man uh because he always does that he always brings his nerd self into his roles yeah and the three of three versions of them together is it's just hilarious the way they keep going on yeah and it's really well done too yeah you can't make out that it's cg yeah, and it's not like it was like back on Friends in the '90s when, uh, anytime you know Phoebe went to see her sister Ursula, we knew it was just like Lisa Kudrow with her back turned, like back and forth. This this is so yeah. much. They've they've come a long way with this kind of thing. Yeah, a lot. Yeah, so we've got all that going on, and uh, we also find out. Whoops, Jeffrey Mace 
uh, has kind of been lying the whole time. And it's on the orders of who other than General Glenn Talbot that Mace is not actually inhuman. He has been taking a super serum similar to uh, what was given to Steve Rogers decades before, only it doesn't work quite the same. And he needs regular doses of this poison uh, to give him his super strength. Yeah. And he's still willing to risk his life in order to gain that super strength and do good. He is. He has uh, extraordinary courage. And I have to say, too, Jason O'Mara, who plays Mace, does a fantastic American accent. He's Irish, isn't he? He is. I looked him up and I was like, holy shit, are you kidding me? His accent is perfect. Yeah, he's on The Man in the High Castle. I really enjoyed him on that show. Oh, I could see that. Yeah. He plays an Irish guy. Um, Well, it makes sense. Uh, so yeah, I, I really feel for Jeffrey Mace. Uh, he's a good man. He's the real deal. And I think that's one of the reasons that him and Coulson work well together is because they're cut from the same cloth. Yeah, true. Once we do find out uh, Jeffrey's secret, Coulson takes over. He says, okay, you be the, the, the mouthpiece. You be the, the PR guy and I'll take the shot. I'll be the one making the calls. Yeah. And that was a smart move as the status quo had changed and they needed to change with it. Yeah, true. And it kind of brought in a lot of familiarity and comfort back into the team. Yes, it did. Now, before we get into the meat of the framework here, I, I want to say the whole Ivanov storyline, um, I think this is the weak point of this season, one of them. Ivanov's obsession with Coulson it seems it's a little ridiculous. Yes. Okay. I'm glad I'm not the only one. I'm like, this seems really far fetched. Yeah. The guy is a conspiracy nut. Yeah. It reminded me just a little bit of Ivan Vanko and Tony in Iron Man 2. But I feel like that was much more earned. Like that was legitimate. You know, that was legitimately oh, personal. But this, I'm like, really? You, you zeroed in on who was at the time a low-level S.H.I.E.L.D. agent? Like, th th I'm not buying this. Yeah, and I find it funny that you take both of, both of them and both of them are Russians, the two yeah. comparisons that you made. Yeah, and, you know, Phil really summed up my feelings when, you know, Vanko gives this big speech about it, and he just looks at him and goes, cool origin story, bro. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Loved it. Colson just has so many quips. It's He's fantastic. He does. Uh, so about halfway through the season, it's Ada really goes off the deep end and her and Radcliffe uh, together, they have created uh, what we now know as the framework. It's this whole crazy digital world where when Radcliffe puts people into this, he's changing. He realizes this with May, that this is the, the route he needs to take. He changes their one biggest regret in their life. Yeah. And coming back to what we were discussing earlier, that one big regret, changing someone's one regret can change so much about you. Yes. And in this case, it starts with May. May's biggest regret was, yeah. killing, was killing that little girl in Bahrain. So that's the, found, that's the foundation of this. So eventually, uh, Ada and Radcliffe kidnap Fitz, Coulson. And Mac. 
And the four of them are and Mace. And Mace, right. Oh, poor Mace. Uh, (laughs) They are all kidnapped and in the framework, and they've been replaced with LMDs, and they are just LMDs running fucking all over the place at S.H.I.E.L.D., and basically everybody has to prove that they're not an LMD. Yeah, and this was my favorite episode. Oh, it's so good. It's incredibly well acted, especially... Very well done. um, Elizabeth Henstridge and Chloe Bennett in this episode are phenomenal. Absolutely. This episode, oh my God, the way they were freaking out, it's so realistic. This You would freak out if half your f- team would just get replaced by LMDs. Yeah, and you don't know who you can trust. You don't know who might kill yeah. you in a second. All right, so let's cover, uh, let's go over real quick what exactly this framework world looks like. And before that, I also just have to say, I love the way that they changed the intro titles to the show to Agents of Hydra. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. For those episodes. thought that was that was such a great touch. They are generally quite innovative with their titles. It yes. matches along what the storyline is. Yeah, I like it. Um, yeah. So in this framework, uh, May's one regret is fixed and she saved that kid. And that kid went on to commit a murderous rampage. And as a result, Hydra was able to basically take over the country. And Fitz's biggest regret was not being able to be with his father. Right. And he is now Leopold the Doctor. Right. In charge of Hydra. Yeah, he's a fucking Nazi, terrible human being. Yeah, he's a monster. Yeah. Um, and we at that point, we're like, you know what, Fitz, it was probably a good thing dad wasn't around. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, Fitz's uh, right hand is... A much darker May. Right. Simmons is dead. That was Ada's doing. Coulson is a history teacher who makes his own soap. Yeah. (laughs) Hilariously makes his own fucking soap. I'm like, oh my God. Framework Phil Coulson was so ready for 2020 and he didn't even know it. (laughs) Yeah. So at first we see him... Uh, you know, spreading Hydra propaganda about Inhumans, but he comes around after Daisy and Gemma are able to jog his memory a little bit. Gemma, not so much, but Daisy does. Yeah, because since Phil's mind had been fucked with before, he still was able to retain some like shards of memories here and there that had bugged him, you know, in his framework mind for a while. Yeah, which is why he said, don't trust the blue soap. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So then uh, we come to Daisy, and I don't know about you, but when she was all excited, like, oh, Lincoln, I knew that wasn't Lincoln immediately. Well, yeah, obviously. Yeah, he was. The, How can anything ever be so easy and happening in, 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 well, in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? It wasn't even that. It was the fact that the skin was a little too dark and Lincoln was, just wasn't that big. True. So yeah. I knew, and it, man... One of us was very happy to see Mr. Grant Ward in nothing but his boxer briefs again. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, writers. They brought in a lot of the other characters who had died or uh, gone away. Yeah, it was really nice to see Trip again. I enjoyed that. Yeah. Well, Mace is also in there. And this time, his biggest regret is also fixed. He is now actually an inhuman. Yeah, and he does have super strength. And he is... Uh, he's a he's a resistance fighter. Yeah, he's heading the resistance. 
yeah, he's heading to resistance. Yeah. And he is finally being able to be the hero he always wanted to be. Yeah. The patriot. I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm like, I'm so damn proud of him. <laughs> um, I have to say, though, my favorite part of the framework is that Coulson is still a fanboy because he's obsessed with the Patriot. Well, there are some things that you just go and train about a person. Yeah. Yeah. Like he's and since the Patriot is a modern day cap, that's just so fitting. And once again. Chloe Bennett and Elizabeth Henstridge, great job in these episodes, even though, even though Daisy and Gemma, Daisy especially, absolute fucking morons. Why? How stupid can you be? Okay. They knew. Like, yes, I understand there are jolts, there are shocks. Totally understand. But Daisy especially, you are a goddamn spy. Your job for the last several years has been to blend and you are absolutely terrible at it technically yes she's a spy but she hasn't been blending she's been a warrior okay but still she did try she's not trying very hard she knows what she needs to be and she's doing a piss poor job of it stop looking surprised at everything stop acting like a decent human being you work for hydra you idiot well, she was still learning as she got she got into this framework with no idea what she was getting into. Yeah, but she's like not playing along at all. She she gets up next to fucking Ward and he's a Hydra agent. She's a Hydra agent. She has no powers. It's like upside down world. Of course, she's going to be surprised. And if someone is trying to have a conversation with her about what happened last night and she has no fucking clue, of course, she's going to try to bluff her way through. No, that's that's fine. But she takes things too far. She keeps trying to be like she keeps being a good person and calling out terrible things and just not playing along like she needs to be like wake the fuck up and realize where you are woman she's saying these things and she's trying to be a decent human being because she thought she had an easy way out at that time she didn't realize they were stuck and ada messed around with their back back door yeah not good enough but it got the job done if she didn't go around like a fucking hammer getting things done uh colton wouldn't have remembered them yeah well that's a di- that's a different story approaching colton yeah but Gemma did it with the whole you need to remember you need to remember that didn't work out but daisy's uh appeal to him in a more calm and relaxed way did work i don't think it was necessarily the approach as much as the fact that he has a deeper connection with daisy yeah, absolutely. And the interesting bit is he doesn't call her Daisy. He calls her Sky. Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, that goes to show he he was the one who had trouble remembering to call her Daisy when she changed her name. Yeah. Yeah. So that came back a little bit. Uh, but Gemma's yeah. definitely in worse shape. Not only does she have to crawl out of a grave, which was really rough to watch because I that's one of my like greatest fears being buried alive. I can't handle that shit. <laughs> Um, she's only got the clothes on her back. She has no ID, no phone. And that ID is super important in in this dystopian world. Yeah. Um, she's covered in dirt. She's just a fucking mess. Yeah. And when she goes and manages to find this person who gives her a lift, I thought that character, whoever the character was, would have actually a bigger role to play. Turns out I was wrong. Oh, I didn't think so at all. No. Figured that was just a throwaway. Just a plot point. 
I, I suppose I I was in a Doctor Who mindset at that time because turns out the stranger that you bump into is pivotal to solving the the problem. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. So eventually. Daisy gets May on board. May sees the error of her ways and starts fighting with the resistance. They get Coulson on board. Uh, They even get Mac on board. Mac, who now has his hope back. He has a daughter who is about 10 years old. Yeah, this was heartbreaking for me. This whole arc that he had with hope and he didn't want to leave her when he realized that this, this whole world was fake. Yeah. It was too much. Yeah, I did feel bad for him. That was really sad. Um, Because it didn't matter if she wasn't real. Like, she was real to him. Yeah. And when they do, like, everything happens and people come out and the framework is being shut down and hope disappears because she's obviously part of the framework. And he comes out back into the real world. He opens his eyes and his eyes are filled with tears. Yeah. The storyline had a huge emotional gut punch yeah. for me. I was happy to see Mac in a different capacity other than fighting. So I have a thing about veins. Mm-hmm. I hate I hate veins. I can't stand to look at them. That's why I have problems with Jeremy Renner uh, <laughs> in various Marvel movies because he's got <laughs> just like Mac, he's got these long veins coming down the biceps. I'm like, ah, I can't deal with it. And Mac's veins okay. His veins by season four are just fucking out of control. So I was happy to see him like in long sleeves at times uh, or, or wearing a sweater occasionally because I just it I can't. It's just a thing. It, and it's not him. It, like it, it could be anybody, but it, they've got crazy veins. I just uh, no, I don't like it. OK, I'd rather see people. I'd rather see people getting decapitated. OK, then uh, I love his uh, nickname for his daughter, Sparkplug. That was cute. That was the one nickname yeah. I was like really on board for. For me, the really heartbreaking moment of this season is Jeffrey Mace's death in the framework. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. The way he sacrifices himself so that everybody else can live holding up that building. Oh, God, that, that got me. Yeah, true. And on one hand, you say, OK, he sacrificed himself doing the right thing. But on the other hand, he died in a framework which isn't real. He sacrificed himself for something that isn't real. Yeah, but, it, you know, it would have been real in his mind. So I'd like to think he went to his particular afterlife knowing, thinking that he was a good man. He Just did knowing right that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And knowing that he was able to be what he wanted to be. And, you know, I also have to wonder, because then we see Antoine Triplett, like, take over as the new Patriot. What the fuck did these writers know at that time? Because this totally mirrors Sam Wilson taking over as the new Captain America. And at one point, remember we discussed this, that Triplett kind of reminds us of Sam Wilson? Yes. Yes. With that outsized personality. Yes. Yeah. And the fact that he, he thinks he has game, but maybe not as much as he thinks he does. (laughs) yeah so yeah in a nutshell uh in the framework uh fitz and ada who is now calling herself madam hydra and pulling all these strings of the framework are a couple and ophelia ophelia right her name is ophelia and i literally just have written in my notes on one line this bitch is crazy and i feel so (laughs) bad for fitz um 
Seriously? You feel bad for Fitz? Yes, I feel bad for Fitz. Yes. And I think you're a monster for not having any sympathy for poor Fitz. Why would I have sympathy for poor Fitz? Fitz is also a victim in this reality. He is, yes, he's made, this version of Fitz has made terrible decisions. But here's the thing. One, he's been brainwashed and programmed by Ada. Two, he's also, he's, he's now been abused by his awful father his entire life. So yeah, I have sympathy for Fitz. Absolutely. And like he commits murder and does some terrible things and then has to deal with that once, you know, Gemma and Daisy are able to save them and get everybody the fuck out of the framework. He has to deal with it. Yes, absolutely. But the framework fits, or Leopold, as we should refer to him as, uh, is not deserving of any kind of sympathy. No, I'm talking about real fits. Okay, fair not frame, enough. Not framework fits, no. Yeah, fair enough. It does go to show he does have that darkness in him. He did have it. His father's abuse and his father's twisted sense of love brought it out in him. But he did have it in him. But that's the big point of this season. Everybody has it in them. True. And it's that darkness that ends up, that little bit of darkness that's in him, that will save them all in season five. So I think the point they're trying to make is that it's necessary. You know, we all have a little piece of darkness in us somewhere. It's a matter of how we use it. You know, and it, yeah, it, it adds to it's 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 a, a lot of this is the whole nature nurture debate. Yeah. See, that's the thing. Um, like in, in the case of Ward, again, in the framework, he is anti anti Hydra. He's working for the resistance, whereas in the real world, he was pro Hydra. Just and the only difference in in both these wards was that in the real world, Garrett went and saved him in prison, whereas in the framework agent hand went and saved him right right i thought that was interesting too yeah that was interesting and one decision like that can't i i um i guess i don't know maybe i'm overthinking it or put, putting my own experiences into this no matter how fucked up your situation is growing up at the end of the day you have a choice of whether you want to follow that dark path or not in this case in ward's case in the real life he did. He chose to go there. He wanted to blame everyone and everything for his darkness. And in, in, in Leopold's case, in the framework, he chose to follow and please his father by getting into this dark shit where he could have, like once he had the power, once he was the head of Hydra, he could have changed things, but he chose not to. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you to a point. I think I see a lot more shades of gray than you do. I think you see it much more black and white. No, I definitely see shades of gray, but it's up to you to make the decision. It's up to you to make the choice. Yes, you're of right. How far you want to go. Yes. Yeah, just blaming your upbringing or the situation does not excuse you from doing so many bad things. Yeah. Now, once they get back from the framework, everybody's safe. This is where I started to get a little irritated with the plot line. Okay. So Ada is now human. 
with all the inhuman superpowers. Right. And I, I literally have it written down in my notes here. How the fuck can this bitch teleport? <laughs> <laughs> like, are you kidding me? Um, so we, we basically find out here that she uh, wanted to become a person and she has this whole life mapped out for herself about how her and Fitz are going to live happily ever after. And it is creepy as fuck. <laughs> yeah, well, she was thinking as a robot. She didn't take into account Fitz's emotions. Yeah, because those are new to her and uh, a little overwhelming. Mm. And when she finds out that it's Jeva, Fitz really wants, oh boy, does she lose it. It's kind of <laughs> awesome. Yeah, it is. And again, the actress has done a wonderful job. Yes. Yeah, she really goes off the deep end here. But this is the part where I'm like, ah, are we really saying that now, like, the destruction of the world is all going to be because of a woman scorned? Yeah, that's the thing. This entire season is so meaty with so much good stuff to dissect. And then they, I think they chickened out and didn't want to go that really deeper route and so they just did this whole woman scorn thing to get in the action that's a really good insight and i think you might be right that maybe they lost their nerve because it was so this season is so good there's so much to unpack and there's so many character studies in here and then we go with this crazy chick who was completely hot and i know how you feel about it but I was like, okay, let's back up here for a second. Um, I would roll around with Fitz any day of the week. Absolutely have me some of that. However, really? You're going you're gonna to take out the whole world because you can't have Fitz? I know, right? Re really? I mean, th at that point, if I'm Coulson, I'm getting on the phone and I'm – because you know he has some way to contact Steve Rogers. I'd be like, Steve – can you can you just get over here and show her what else we have to offer in the mail department? <laughs> can you get Thor too? Can you bring Thor down? Even Hawkeye. Can you bring him over? Just you guys show up here. Let's show her what other offerings we have and maybe we can keep a lid on this situation. Hey, even Tony Stark. He could give her an upgrade. Eh. Hey, compared to Fitz, Tony Stark is the better choice. Okay, let's all just calm down here. <laughs> let's calm down. Um, it just, yeah, it left a sour taste in my mouth after what was a fantastic episode. That was kind of a letdown for me. Yeah, completely. And you know what else was a letdown, too? Was another deus ex machina moment of Ghost Rider just showing up and taking her out. Yeah. But he doesn't take her out. Colson does. Yeah, but with the spirit of, of Ghost Rider inside of him. And I'm like, yeah. and not only that, but we're going to see this too in, you know, going through to season six. We have three dudes. We've got Deathlock, Robbie Reyes, Ghost Rider, and later on the kid Flint. They are, yeah. the, the three of them are just props. They are useful tools that the writers pull out when they need a convenience they're not fleshed out well because of this and really yeah and they're all men of color exactly 
Let's just let's just let that one sit. Okay, so those are the broad strokes then. Uh, okay, so those are the broad. Really? Those are the really broad strokes. Really? Yeah, so the really broad strokes of season four. So we end up. I think you have a different definition of broad strokes yeah. right now. Yeah. Well, we don't have six months to cover this. So these guys have gone in for their proverbial last meal together, and suddenly everything gets turned off, and a mysterious man comes in from the back and says, "Philip J. Colson." Colson, of course, agrees, and they all get kidnapped and taken away somewhere we don't know yet. And scene. So season five picks up pretty much exactly where season four lets off with the answer. Yeah. The answer to where the hell was everybody taken? Here is the it's it's much easier to sum up season five in a single sentence. Uh, basically, our beloved S.H.I.E.L.D. team is blasted 74 years into the future to prevent the Earth from literally being torn apart in their own timeline. Yeah, or as Enoch would say, an extinction-level event. Yes, I like Enoch. I like him too. Yeah, uh, we'll get to it later, but sad Enoch, depressed Enoch is my favorite version of him. <laughs> yeah, that's season six. We immediately start off with some jaunty music and we immediately realize that Enoch is not human. I mean, he literally takes his skin off. Yeah, it was gross. So, yeah. (laughs) And he goes and kidnaps. We see the kidnapping from Enoch's point of view. He takes the team to another fucking monolith. Like, we've not had enough monoliths in season three, haven't we? And, you know, that's where I'm on board with Mac when this starts, because he is beyond fed up. Like, what the fuck? Now we're in space. And it is ridiculous. They look like the Scooby-Doo gang. (laughs) Yeah, I love the scene where they're all sneaking in this passageway and they're all trying to be on, on guard, waiting for the next roach to show up. And... Uh, Phil just says, I think this is the coolest we've ever looked. (laughs) (laughs) That's always very important. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So spoiler alert, everybody, they're not actually in space. And, you know, my dear partner had me losing my mind for a couple of days (laughs) Because I was, you know, busy creating the titles, uh, the title for this episode, and the original title was going to be... The preview. The preview, yeah. The original title for this episode was going to be Decoys and Frameworks and Space, oh my. And this one tells me at, like, fucking episode two or three, oh, that's not going to work. And I'm like, why not? They're not in space. And... I'm like, what the fuck are you smoking? They're in fucking space. (laughs) Very clearly they're in space. I said no. Well, they weren't. And here's the thing. By then, I had not read season five again. So I I, I knew they weren't in space. I knew they weren't. They were in the lighthouse. But I didn't remember which... Yeah, I didn't remember which episode they revealed that. Turns out they they revealed it in the in the first episode, but Madam Chris here did not get the memo. 
I didn't because my brain was leaking out of my ears onto my couch and just spilling into the fabric and lost forever. Well, that's on you for watching. I don't know how many episodes in a day like a crazy woman. Here's here's part of it. So um, I have a disorder called Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. And I am very fortunate because uh, there are a number of subtypes of EDS. And uh, this is a disorder that is, is really a spectrum. And I'm lucky that I have the mildest, uh, I have a mild version of the least dangerous type of this disease, uh, which is genetic. So because of this, you know, I have a number of issues that I deal with, but one of them is uh, I have an overly sensitive nervous system, and it's much better than it used to be. However, uh, because of this, I have like sensory issues, and this even uh, comes into play when I'm watching TV or when I'm reading books. I cannot deal with the confines of this dark, stale, metal, spacey lighthouse on this floating rock that's dingy and dark. And I just, I can't deal with it. Yeah, it is a very dingy and dark um, place. I hate undoubtedly. it. I, it is very claustrophobic. I hate it. And I'm trapped in there with Deke and I just wish I had a noose. <laughs> You know, and in certain scenes when they show all the people just sort of milling around and there's a sort of underground market kind of thing going on, you can almost smell it. Oh, it's oh, they they do a good job with it. I'll say that. They and that yeah. that's how I yeah. know they do a good job with it, the set design and all the props and everything because my skin was crawling. I just couldn't handle it. You know, as the gang tries to Oh, and we we should mention that it's the entire team minus Fitz. He got left behind for some reason. Because Fitz and Simmons are cursed. Right. Um, you think a scientist would have a better explanation than we are cursed. Well, I can't blame him for thinking that because it certainly feels that way. Um, hey, uh, I, I said it in the previous episode. If I, were with, if I were with Fitz, I'd be cursing myself. That's you. So... The, mm -hmm. ga the gang is trying to get their shit together and figure out where they are and get acclimated to this new place. And they meet fucking Deke Shaw, bane of my fictional existence. You know, he's he is useful to a certain point. I mean, you can't be that. Oh, I'm not denying. I'm not denying he's not useful, but I don't need him anywhere near season five, season six. Wish they'd thrown out of him out of the plane for season seven. But yeah, he, he is useful. So we meet him. So and then we also meet the guy who's in charge of this this rock, uh Cassius. Cassius. Now yeah. with Cassius, I feel like when the writers got into the room that day to start writing for this character, somebody was like, Oh man, you know, I just rewatched Gladiator this weekend. Forgot how awesome that movie was. And it was just stuck in his head. And he basically just wrote a Cree version of Commodus for this character. The storyline itself it does have a lot of um, similarity to the whole Gladiator thing. Yeah. We have inhumans fighting against each other to to be sold to slavery. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and you know, too, the writers are like, hey, we already got we already got Commodus' ne fucking nephew on the show. 
why not lean in? I don't know if anybody else realized that, but I I knew immediately when I saw in, in previous seasons, uh, Werner von Strucker is played by Spencer Tree Clark, uh, who played Commodus's nephew in Gladiator. Oh, okay. I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah, he's got a distinctive face. Yeah, he does. I've I recognized him, but I, I wouldn't know from where. And you know, you know, Amy, what I really also did not need? I didn't need to see this little girl being fucking beaten to death in a pit. Oh, yeah, that, yeah, yeah, that inhuman girl. Yeah. Uh, so while all this is going on, while Gemma is being, like, taken captive by Cassius and everybody's getting those tracker things plugged into their wrists and shit. That, see, that, that looks really painful. Yes, extremely. Uh, so while all that's going on, poor Fitz is stuck back in the original timeline in a detention facility run by this woman who is so very clearly a Nazi, uh, General Hale. <laughs> yeah. It takes six months for Hunter to show up and break him out of there. And he doesn't. I love this so much. First of all, I was so happy to see Hunter again. It was awesome. Yeah. But the way yeah. Fitz did it was by writing letters to the editor in a soccer fan magazine that he knew would get Hunter's attention and piss him off. Yeah. This is classic spy work. Yes, that's true. Fitz did a really good job with yeah. this. And I love their whole, they have this hilarious screaming match about their yeah. uh, their soccer teams. And I'm sure our British listeners found this even funnier because they actually had an idea what the hell these two were talking about. Um, I kind of have an idea, but I'm not too much of a soccer fan. So Yeah, it was hilarious. Their big bro hug at the end of it. <laughs> At one point, Fitz says to him, hey, I do push-ups now, double digits. <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm, yeah, you do. I see it. Oh, God. <laughs> so, uh, long story short, Fitz puts himself, uh, with the help of Enoch, into a cryo freeze chamber for 74 years so he can catch up with the team and show up on the rock there as a so-called bounty hunter the lighthouse the lighthouse the lighthouse he shows up at the lighthouse in the future as this like roguish han solo type bounty hunter who's gonna try and spring everybody out of there yeah and he kind of failed miserably. A little bit. But you know what the one thing I that was on my mind? Nobody questions Fitz's accent from a world that hasn't existed in 75 years. They probably thought it was one of his quirks. That's a pretty thick quirk. <laughs> I, know, I was rubbing my head a little bit on that one. But I was like, eh, I'm just going to have to go with it. <laughs> um, I've, I'm along for everything else of, of you know... This isn't that big a deal considering the, you know, time jump and crazy gladiators and roaches and whatever. Yeah, and Mercury going into a year and making you go deaf. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, yeah. we meet Cassius's brother, too. And I got to say, Cassius and brother here, they make Thor and Loki seem healthy. <laughs> yeah, both of them. Oh, one worse than the other. For sure. Yeah. What is their obsession with pleasing daddy and honor and fighting and all of that? Like, oh, come on. Go just grab a drink. Go 
get onto a beach, get sunbathed somewhere. Yeah, it's rather antiquated for 74 years in the future, isn't it? Yeah, but then there are different species altogether. So. True. Uh, do you know what I think my favorite part of season five might just be? And I hate that it has to do with Mac, but oh well, what will be will be. <laughs> What's that? I'm a little obsessed with the shotgun axe. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's a good piece of equipment. Yeah. It's fucking awesome. And he used, yeah. he used that to decapitate LMD Ada in season four, didn't he? Somebody did. Yes, he did. Yeah. Yes, he did. Yeah, that was pretty epic. Yeah, oh, the, the way they did it, the graphics, the CGI for that was fantastic as well. All right, so let's talk about this kid Flint real quick and how he helps get them back to their own timeline. Yeah, speaking of interesting tools and equipment, Flint. <laughs> and of course his name is Flint, because Stone, Flint... Give me a break. Yeah. Yeah. And Mac's uh, nickname for him is, of course, Pebbles. Which, oh my God, drove me fucking insane. You know, the perfect nickname for him would have been Rocky. Seriously. No, let's call him what we used to call a little girl in a cartoon from the 60s. (laughs) God. And it's like his number one priority is always giving somebody a nickname. Well, I don't know. To a certain extent, I kind of find it endearing. Oh, he's a pain. He's useless. He's not useless. He decapitated Ada. Okay. Yeah, so Flint's extremely convenient power after going through Terra Genesis is that he can move rocks around. And And he can create structures out of sand and rocks. and, And that's how he recreates the monolith because the monolith somehow, somewhere had been destroyed. Right. So that's how everybody gets back to their own timeline, except Daisy doesn't go along willingly. So, yeah, because she has found out or everyone has been sort of drilling it into her head that she is the one who destroyed the earth. She's the destroyer of worlds. And she wants to stay behind so that there's no possible way she can split the earth in two and destroy the planet. But Coulson's like, ah, no, you know what? Uh, That won't happen, I promise. And you mean too much to me, kiddo. So I'm going to ice your ass and carry you back home. You know, I have to say, the guy is strong. He's He's able to pick up Daisy and take her through the monolith. Yeah, but here's the thing. She doesn't get pissed at him for this. Of course she does. I don't, she doesn't get all that pissed at him. She doesn't stay mad at Coulson for very long. She can't because it's her dad. So here's my question. Is Coulson really any different or any better from Dr. Radcliffe when he brings Daisy back like this? He knows the risks. She's right. Daisy's 100%. But Daisy's 100% right. Yes, Daisy's right. But Coulson doesn't want to let go of her, number one. And number two, he had faith that they would somehow find a way to not destroy the world i mean how hard is it to not destroy the world (laughs) apparently pretty goddamn hard as we see (laughs) for the rest of this season that's a pretty big leap of faith to take that's a pretty big gamble on the fate of humanity but it's his his little girl is daisy he can't let her go this is why i'm on I'm more on Fitz's side for things and Yo-Yo's side, who both of whom they will make tough decisions going forward that have to be made. So let's talk about Yo-Yo a little bit. So poor thing. She unfortunately gets to meet Ruby 
Uh, the yeah, psych- fuck Ruby. Oh, the psychopathic daughter of General Hal. Now you say fuck Ruby, but here's the thing: she is a child who has yeah. been imprisoned, abused, and trained to be a monster her entire life. She has known nothing but that Hydra facility. True. So I cannot blame that child for what she does. Yeah, true. She is kind of warped in the head. A little bit. So in an effort to take out the team, this was fucking brutal, man. She just cuts off Yo-Yo's hands. Yeah, that uh, that was. Oh, that drip, that drip, bad. drip. Ooh. yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that happens. And then we also, so we also have good old Deke discovering Earth for the first time. And I got to say, I do enjoy that. His obsession with Zima is hilarious. So Zima is an actual uh, drink? Yeah, it was a thing in the 90s. Uh, I don't know if you can even still buy Zima anywhere. Okay. Um, okay, yeah. yeah. Well, f- I'm sure you could because it's fantastic product placement. It's in, in season six as well. Yeah, um, I think it's I don't think it's product placement. I think it's more of a, oh, my God, he thinks this is cool, but this is 25 years outdated. Okay. Yeah, because that was a very and short, trendy thing back when I was a kid. Okay. And another thing uh, I noticed that obviously I've never had Zima. I never even heard of it till I saw it on the show, but it's citrus flavored. And you can see his obsession with citrus yeah. uh, throughout. Yeah, and along with all these wonderful things in in the present day lighthouse on present day Earth. You know, I have to say, I, I've been at home quarantining for the last, I don't know how long. It's been like six years. Um, <laughs> but... <laughs> But when he like shows up in present day America and he's hugging the tree and he goes and finds a bar and the point where he's, you know, just kind of hanging out at this bar, drinking and having a burger, that just felt so like, oh, my God, I can totally understand that ecstasy that he's feeling right now. Yeah. Even if I wasn't quarantined, I'd still just be in my house. I've, I've been to a bar like once in my life, so I'm good. Oh, no, I miss, I miss bars. I miss, I miss people. <laughs> That's where you and I differ. I'm good. You know, even when this does eventually pass, which it will, I'm really fine with people just staying six feet away from me all the time. That works. So Deke also discovers that he is Gemma and Fitz's grandson. Yeah. Much to, much to Fitz's chagrin. And I don't blame him. <laughs> God. Oh, he he is the absolute worst. Fitz is a thousand percent right. Yeah, but you know that that line of his that he says, oh, you're the absolute worst. And he says it to Enoch at one point or something like that. It just sounds so childish. In the moment, though, I get it. That's the thing is Deke. I think, okay, this is why I have so much trouble with Deke. So I worked in childcare for a long time. Between graduating in 2009 from college in the worst ever job market for college graduates. Mm. Tell me about it. 2020 is giving him a run for its money. Between that and moving around so much with the military, I had to fall back on childcare a lot in the past. And after a while, after so many years of 
taking care of people's kids. Now, I was lucky. I, I took care of some wonderful kids. But I also had to deal with a lot of uh, little shits that I wanted to punt across a football field. Um, I'm just burnt from kids. I just can't do it anymore. And Deke is just a seven-year-old in a man's body. Well, you can't. Can you blame him? Look, I'm not Deke's Deke's biggest fan, but you can't really blame him for being emotionally stunted. I know. And I get it. I just can't take it. Okay. Gemma Gemma has enough patience for everybody. I I rely on her to have the patience because I can't do it. (laughs) <laughs> I just want to give him an Xbox and say, here, go nuts and leave me the fuck alone. Which is kind of uh, prophesizing what happens in season six with him, what he yeah. does. And, you yeah. know, speaking of speaking of grown men, uh, here's another thing I don't need. I don't need Ruby seducing Von Strucker. I don't need to see this person who's clearly a child putting her hands on a grown man like this. Don't need it. And it doesn't take much for him to get influenced. Yeah. Which is ridiculous. Yeah, he's fucked in the head too. But like, dude, you should be on a list of some kind because she is a child. Yeah. And you know what? He would probably be able to keep straight all the plot points of the show because of his fantastic memory. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and another thing I can't deal with here. And this had me scratching my head and waiting for a big villain reveal that never came. Which is? Let me explain this to you. Let me explain this, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. writers. And casting director. If you are going to put Jake Busey on your show, he needs to be a villain. You know why? Because he's Jake fucking Busey. And that's what he does. That's Jake what the Busey is Bu- the guy who plays the candy man, right? Yes. That is what the Busey family does. They play bad guys. You know, I've not seen him in anything before. I didn't even know his name till now. But I was also kind of waiting for him to turn out to be a villain. Yeah, with those chiclet teeth, that obvious spray tan, and his family lineage, I was waiting for that turn to the dark side. That never came. <laughs> but, well, they're subverting expectations. Uh, Game of Thrones fans will know what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, there was another thing, too. When they, they do their gravity stuff and they're going to look for that that ship that is now in the sky because of the gravitonium. I'm like the true crime fan in me was like, Oh no, no, no. Those bodies should be in a much more advanced state of decomposition. Thank you very much. Yeah. You know, there's a reason why I'm really glad you're not nearby. That ship should be crawling with maggots. Yeah. So ridiculousness of this season just continues. I was so excited when Deke got shot. I really had my hopes up high on that one. Yeah. And Mac ends up operating on him. Right. Right. Absolutely. Because that's how life works. A mechanic can totally be a surgeon in a pinch. Yeah, totally. And Piper is guiding him through it. And she basically tells him now you need pinch the artery and stitch the artery. So what does he know between the difference between an artery and an exhaust pipe? Yeah, absolutely nothing. Deke should be bleeding out on that table. <laughs> You're done. Yeah, but the introduction of Piper, I like her character. I love her too. Her and yeah, yeah I love her and, and Davis. The interplay between the two of them as it progresses in seasons five and six is great. Yeah, fantastic. And she is, um, she's really good. Yeah. She really, like, she steals the scene in all the craziness. You can't help but be drawn to her. 
Yeah, she's a breath of fresh air and she's kind of like uh, the audience in a way sometimes of pointing out things that others are overlooking and like important shit that that other people are just kind of glossing over. Yeah, and you know, I think actually um, Mac is kind of that guy, at least in the first few seasons, he's kind of that guy. I mean, you know, he's he's the straight-laced guy and he's kind of talking about the absurdity of what's happening. He is the audience basically saying, yeah, this is insane. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so while that's going on, uh, Yo-Yo's in the process of getting some prosthetic hands. Oh, oh, um, you know that scene where she goes out for the first time, she uses her prosthetic hands and she goes super speed and comes back. Yeah. And her hands just get all crazy and uh Fitzsimmons are basically telling her why it's why what's happening with her with her arms and she just says I don't need an explanation I need a solution yeah yeah (laughs) poor thing yeah so yeah all that's going on uh General Talbot's not doing great yeah uh he's being held captive also by General Hale and his mind is pudding yeah, pretty much. Uh, I really yeah. did feel, I felt so bad for him. He didn't deserve yeah. that. Not at all. And he did a really good job playing that. Yes. Oh, he's a great actor. Absolutely. Just miscast. Yeah, completely. But then now when he gets into the Gravitonium and all of that, then he kind of takes on a whole new life and he plays that really well. Yeah. Yeah. And while that's going on, while Talbot's brain is pudding... Fitz is kind of dealing with his own double identity crisis. He imagines that Leopold is here. He takes and he programs the robots, yada, yada. He manages to corner Daisy into a place and captures her, immobilizes her and takes out the inhibitor, which is preventing her from using her powers. And that is just brutal the way he does it. It's tough to watch. It is. And it is such a violation as a friend to do that to another friend. I feel like it's no different than what Coulson did to her, icing her and bringing her back to the timeline against her wishes. And I think she responds very differently to both situations. The, yes, Coulson iced her and brought her back against her wishes. But she had that she had the knowledge that she was still inhibited with that inhibitor in her brain behind her ear so she wasn't all that concerned and the other thing is Fitz did this in such a brutal and violent way but at the same time both men were doing what they thought needed to be done for the greater good so I feel like I I get what you're saying but I do feel like Daisy has a bit of a double standard here and also the fact that like Fitz was under the influence of his framework self more than the others because of the brain damage he suffered, you know, after being, after the hypoxia he suffered underwater in season one. Yeah, absolutely. I'm not, I'm not denying that Fitz has issues and uh, he had to, he has to deal with both sides of himself, Leopold and Fitz. And it is something he needs a lot of therapy for that. Yeah. That's not the issue. My, my issue here with, with Daisy was the, the brutality, the violence of it. And you can't just take away someone's agency for the greater good. Phil in did. such a brutal way. Phil, Phil did, did, yes. And Daisy was pissed off with him. 
But the reason why Daisy was so was far more pissed off with Fitz was again the brutality of it, and they can't trust Leopold. If Leopold is in charge, you know you can't trust him to do the right thing. Yeah, I get that. But at the same time, I think that there was more mitigating factors with Fitz. Like, yes, it was more brutal, but more mitigating factors with Coulson. It's just, I don't want to lose my daughter. Sorry, Phil. That's not good enough when the fate of humanity is at stake. I'm sorry. That's pretty much what the team does when they have to choose between saving Coulson and saving the world. Yeah, I just, and that's what I love about Yo-Yo. So let's talk about this for a minute. So Yo-Yo does what needs to be done, in my opinion, when she executes Ruby. Slits that psycho's throat. Yeah, completely. Agreed. I absolutely hated the way everyone reacted about this. They acted like she had just strangled a puppy. Yeah, I know. I think it was a combination of not having Colton around and... Daisy being kind of like letting the power of being in charge get to her her own head and this sort of discomfort of having Daisy in charge, uh, one of the youngest and the most inexperienced members in terms of leadership, to have her in charge. She had no business being in charge. Yeah, but Colton had put her in charge. Right, which was a mistake. Yes, and which Daisy herself realizes at a certain point. The person who had the most problem with with Yo-Yo's actions were Mac. And that is because he was still struggling to come to terms with the loss of his own daughter. Yeah, so there was a lot at play over here. The whole framework thing going on in their heads still because they've not even had a moment to breathe. They've gone back, they've gone forward into time, come back. They have this existential, sorry, this uh, extinction level event going on and they're right in the middle of it. And there's so many dynamics at play that they kind of found Yo-Yo to be the black sheep and they just sort of took out all their frustration on her. Yeah, I mean, poor Yo-Yo. She did She did the right thing. She killed a ticking bomb that was going to destroy the goddamn world. Yeah, she did the right thing. She made the hard choice. It didn't matter if she was a child. She's a... A full-blown psychopath, there's no rehabilitation, and she's also become a dangerous weapon. Yeah, absolutely. I'm 100% on board with you. What Yo-Yo did was the right thing. Yeah. So we spend the next few episodes pretty much arguing about whether or not to or how to save Coulson because we find out that the bargain he made with the Ghost Rider was basically his life. Yeah. So he's dying slowly. And this is where I just lost it again. I'm sorry. I know a lot of people love Daisy Johnson. And she is an awesome character in a lot of ways. But this drove me nuts. And, And May, too. Like, I get that this is the man you love. I get that this is your surrogate dad. But you need to stop being so damn selfish and respect his wishes. He's already been been brought back once artificially, and he didn't even want that. He's made the best of it. He's thrived. But this is his time. He wants to go, and you need to respect that instead of being fucking awful and trying to guilt him into doing what you want. 
That's a very human thing to do. That doesn't make it okay. I'm not saying it makes it okay. I'm just saying it's understandable. They take it too far, though. It's one thing to have one conversation about it. It's another to spend episodes on this. It is too much. But that's the main conflict of the second half of the season. Do we save Coulson, who is our world, to us, or do we save the world? That's their conundrum for May and Daisy. I tend to, maybe it just makes me a less emotional and more rational person. But again, this is one of those moments where at least Bill understands. Like, he hasn't made the right choice in the past, but now he understands. He's like, he is not more important than all of humanity. And he knows that. And he's never put himself more as more important than all of humanity. His biggest flaw is his love for his people. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. So we spend several episodes arguing about that. And then we come back to poor General Talbot. I never thought I would say those three words together. Um, (laughs) But goddamn, that character, he deserved better than this fate. He did. I was pissed. Even though he was a cartoon and a caricature and just ridiculous in every way, he was a good man. He was a good man. And props to the writers, uh, Adrian Pazdor, for just in, in such a short time from going, oh, my God, again, it's Talbot to, oh, my God, Talbot. Yeah. Uh, after Phil rescues him and breaks him out, you know, shit hits the fan and... As it always does. As it always does, yes. Mm-hmm. Trying to be the hero, uh, uh, Talbot steps into the Gravitonian machine and takes it all in and, of course, turns evil. Of course. Well, who wouldn't go evil when they have two people screaming in their head constantly? Yeah, that's true. Even Creel was going insane. Now, I have to mention this one bit here that just had me rolling my eyes so hard when Talbot and Coulson go up for that little tete-a-tete on uh, the Cree ship. Yeah. And, you know, the writer's way of, oh, so subtly telling us that Talbot's about to turn evil. He looks at these dudes and says, kneel before me. I said, kneel. And I'm just like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. The idea that Glenn Yosemite Sam Talbot is comparable now to Loki as a villain is just absurd. Get the fuck out of here. That is just lazy writing. I don't think it was an intentional comparison with Loki. It's just about the power going to his head. How is that not an intentional comparison? It's one of his most famous quotes in the MCU. That's too much. That's too heavy-handed. And I'm sorry, the comparison, don't even. Just Are we talking about don't. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? Just don't. When has the show not been heavy-handed? When have they ever been subtle? That was just, it, it was just too much for me. Because I'm like, you know, because it pissed me off because it's like, no, Talbot's, that's not Talbot. That's not, not Okay. Yeah, the power went to his head. Yeah, he deserves better than this. He's not some crazy, you know, megalomaniac psychopath. Like, no, not okay. 
No, he isn't. I'm not, I can't quite remember which character it is who says that every villain is a hero in their own story. In his mind, he was doing the right thing. And I think this is a perfect example of showing how great Mace was. Yes. Because yeah. he got these incredible powers with the serum and he still maintained his humility and his good naturedness. True. It didn't let it let it go to his head. Uh, now let me ask you this: Am I the only one who thought Adrian Pazdar looked like he had an inflatable chest on? No, I think they did put it put some stuff on him to pat yeah, him he, out. He looked enormous. Yeah. Okay. All right. Glad it wasn't just me. I thought it was maybe hallucinating <laughs> after seventy <laughs> something hours of this. No, they, I think they did pad him out a bit because they wanted to make him look more intimidating. Um, I also don't need this whole Deke loves Daisy horseshit. <laughs> I don't need that anywhere near the show. He can take his fucking lemons and jump off a cliff. Well, it's funny, right? He's kind of like the comedy comic relief of the show. Oh, God. <laughs> it, like he's just he's just like he's like a, a piece of lint that I just want to keep flicking off of my clothes that won't go away like a bad <laughs> rash uh he's okay i'm i'm kind of indifferent towards him now oh oh and you know we talk a lot in this season about people making their choices people making choices and whether or not others respect them uh, mm -hmm. So we, we've talked about Mac and all his uh, self-righteous uh, biblical biblical rantings. Um, mm -hmm. And here's the other thing. You know what, Mac? Yo-Yo is a grown-ass woman, and she can make her own goddamn decisions. She doesn't need you for that. Now, what are you referring to? Oh, my God. Everything. He is constantly telling her what to do, telling her what she needs, telling her what's best. Get the fuck off your high horse. Who do you think you are? Yeah, he does get a bit overbearing. And that, again, adds to the fuel that's going on, this entire tinderbox that's ready to explode. Yeah, I can't stand it. But you can't help but understand that he's being overprotective she literally just lost both her arms he's bound to be overprotective of her yeah but this is the problem when people on the same spy team hook up is that that shit can't be allowed true she is just as capable as he is if not more because she's an inhuman so get off her back and respect her goddammit. true agreed he is being this domineering male asshole and i have and i have zero patience for it Agreed. And that their entire relationship, it just, it, it doesn't work for me. There's something about it that never worked for me. I don't see what she sees in him. No. Uh, this season wraps up with Talbot being the main villain here, trying to do what he thinks is right. But uh, essentially, if he's not stopped, he's going to destroy the world. Yeah. And like it all, oh my God, it happens in front of his son. And that was even worse God, that was all he had left was like the knowledge that his son at least knew his dad when he was a hero. But now he has to have the image of his father throwing his mother up against the wall and being shot yeah. at. Like, that was terrible. Yeah, it it's brutal. It's like a train wreck. Yeah, you just can't look away. Yeah. 
And I think deep down, Talbot probably knew that what he's doing is wrong, but he couldn't stop himself. Yeah. That's at, that's at least my way of taking taking it. So the wrap up here is that Daisy quakes Talbot into space. Yeah, the serum that was supposed to be for Colson, Colson puts it into her gauntlet for her to take it to get that extra boost of power in order to defeat Talbot. And the way they do it, the CGI, she takes it and explodes and just sends them out straight into outer space. Fabulous. Yeah, so we have that. And then we also have current timeline Fitz dying. Yeah, trying to save Mac and Robin's mom. Yeah, and that didn't really have any emotional effect on me, although he was very good. Very good in that scene. Yeah, he did a really good job in that scene. Yeah, it didn't really affect me because obviously I know like he's not going to stay dead. They're going to find a way around it and Fitz will be back. So it didn't have much Mm. impact on me. However, uh, Mr. Coulson is a different story. Mm -hmm. I got to tell you, I was fine when they're having the little retirement party slash death party. Uh, because everybody has finally decided to respect Phil's final wishes and let him go. They had no choice, right? Because the serum was used by Daisy. True. Yeah. And okay, what you're talking about, you're talking about Yo-Yo taking the tough, de- making the tough decisions. And she's saying that we can't save Colson, right? And everyone else was against her. Yeah. You got to admit that if... First off, if Daisy and May hadn't taken all those steps in order to get the serum, they wouldn't have been able to defeat Talbot, number one. And number two, at the end of it all, when Coulson does lose his heartbeat and Yo-Yo is there, at that point, she does regret it. And she says, oh, my God, what have I done? And she gives him CPR and brings him back for however long he's back. Do you hear that sound? What? It's my brain matter going down the drain. <laughs> okay. Just trying to keep that all straight in my mind. <laughs> um, Why is it that when what? I make a good point, you make a joke about it and just because, nullify the whole thing? Because I'm... <laughs> because I just zoned out for a second because... I, every once in a while, I just get so overwhelmed by this that my brain just stops. <laughs> it just stops and short circuits. And this is why I wake up worrying that I'm an LMD. Yeah, but, an you LMD know, would be able to keep all these facts straight, so you're good. Yeah, I mean, I came the other day. My dog was sniffing my crotch in a way she doesn't normally do, and I'm like, oh god. Is she trying to tell me something? Am I not me anymore? (laughs) Maybe I'm an LMD. I don't have as good as a memory as you, but I'm being able to keep all of this straight. Well, you've seen it once before, though. Yeah, but still. So, yeah, I was fine with the the spy's farewell and Coulson giving his speech. You know, I I had just I had just a little bit, a little tear. (sighs) And then they showed us that fucking plaque. <laughs> and I lost it. Despite the fact that I know he'll be back in some way. I was sitting on my couch sobbing. And my husband looks at me and he's like, what the hell is wrong with you? 
I laugh, but yeah, I was bawling my eyes out. Yeah. I was emotionally drained after that. Yeah, so we leave off with uh, Coulson and May living out his final days on the beach in Tahiti, finally having their time together. They're having a magical time in a magical place. And uh, the other main point is that Gemma and Daisy are heading out on a mission. They are going to find the other version of Fitz that is out in space somewhere in cryofreeze to bring him back to Earth. Yes. All right. So that brings us to season six. Gist of it, guys. The team has to stop a person slash being slash man called Sarge, who just happens to look exactly like Coulson, from taking a series of Yada yada actions that will allow an alien named Izel to, guess what, destroy the Earth. You know, I think I just realized the purpose of season six. Which is? Clark Gregg was tired of playing the good guy. He wanted a break, so they gave him a role to play a bad guy. Hence, Sarge was born. Is there any truth to that? No. (laughs) I just made that up. Just making shit up. Poor Clark, poor Clark Craig's just minding his own damn business right now, just being a dad, you know, marketing this show. And you're just out there just just dropping, dropping fake news. Here we go. Hey, I just said, I just realized I didn't say I found out. I made up this whole headcanon in my head. No, actually, the thing is that when season five was aired, Nobody knew that they would get renewed for season six. It was pretty much written as a series finale. So season six and seven coming up is kind of like a, was kind of like a surprise for them. So. Oh, that makes a lot of sense now. Yeah. You can't have Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. without Clark Gregg. Right. So they did their best. Oh, God, this makes so much sense now. Yeah. So yeah, those are the main, so here, here are the main points, season six. Well, uh, season six is kind of divided into two storylines, which are happening concurrently. And uh, they, about midway through the season, they join in. One right. is Fitzsimmons and their whole adventures in space. And we have Sarge. Half the team is in space looking for Fitz, finding Fitz, then trying to bring everybody home. Half the team is trying to stop Sarge. Halfway through, yeah, everybody gets together, and then yeah. you got to stop Izel from destroying the Earth, and then we need to stop the Chronicoms from coming and taking over Earth for their new home. Yeah, the whole Chronicom thing just seems so <sighs> forced. Too much, too much. Yeah, yeah. yeah I just can't take I mean, it. Uh, towards the end of it, I forgot about the Chronicoms, and suddenly the lady pops up as we are going to make Earth Chronicom 3. It's like, oh God, will you go away already? Yes, I was like, I don't even remember her goddamn name. Who are they and what do they want? They want the Earth. Yeah, so we're going to touch on some highlights here from season six because it's also a shorter season. So we have, we have Daisy and Simmons out in space looking for Fitz. And in what I think is probably my favorite scene in all six seasons, we have the two of them high off their asses on puffs 
in this yeah. bar. Oh yeah. my God, I love it so much. Yeah. That was a fantastic episode. It was. And Daisy, high off her ass, can't aim properly. Simmons <laughs> trying to help aim. <laughs> and we just had the whole crying jagger. You're my best friend. I love you yeah. too. I'm so proud of Your you. Your skin is oh, so soft. <laughs> And they're feeling up the rug for 20 minutes. And yeah. It's great. Yeah. Yeah, that's fantastic. And on the other side, we have Fitz uh, and Enoch. And Enoch is going through his depressive phase because he's useless now. <laughs> I fucking love Enoch. Yeah. <laughs> I want to take a road trip with Enoch. I think that'd be a lot of fun. I think that would be rather exhilarating. That would be Enoch. Gemma and Daisy find Fitz. And then, of course, a chronicom comes along and teleports Fitz out. I literally have in my notes, oh, for fuck's sake. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. It's like, oh, they've seen each other and bye bye. Enough already. Can we just get them back together? I don't need this chronicom bullshit at all. Yeah. I'm totally on board with Sarge. I mean, don't get me wrong. Clark Reg is, is significantly older than I am, but I enjoyed this. He looks good. You just have a thing for the bad boys. He looks good. I don't get me wrong. He's an attractive man, regardless. But the buzz yeah, cut, he is. the the buzz cut, and the different clothes, I like it. Mm, nah, nah, not oh. for me. Oh. I prefer suit and tie, Phil Colson. Oh no, 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 no. No, no. Give me the leather jacket any day. Speaking of leather jackets, I did enjoy Daisy's wardrobe this season. Oh, I did not. I did not. I thought she looked like a Barbie doll in this season and I didn't care for it. Oh, the blonde hair? Absolutely not. But the leather jacket? Yes. I think she like face her face, too. She was just overly made up. I, I don't like it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I did enjoy the leather jacket. And talking about Deke, the clean shaven decent haircut deke doesn't look good the most scruffy looking apocalyptic world kind of deke is a better looking guy yeah i would agree with you there um he is attractive i'm not i'm not saying he's not i just can't get past the fact that he's a (laughs) seven-year-old oh and then we also man that whole parasite thing with that dude keller um i had trouble looking at this keller guy again veins but it was also kind of jarring. I swear to God, at some point in history, Clint Eastwood must have fucked Hugh Jackman because they clearly produced this guy. <laughs> like, where did they find this dude? I'm thinking maybe mm. maybe Disney. Maybe he was playing Wolverine at Disney. I don't know. <laughs> Wolverine wouldn't be in Disney. Oh, that's true. Fox, right. Um, some theme park, I'm sure, somewhere. Did you also think that when Keller got killed and all the knives were sticking out of him, that he looked like a human Iron Throne? No, but thank you for that picture. (laughs) That's what came to my mind. No. See, I don't want to get into a rant, but after (coughs) season eight of Game of Thrones, I have blocked it out of my mind. I have put it in a little compartment like Simmons has done with that little thing, because if I let that out, I will not be any worse. I will not be any better than that crazy, psychotic Simmons. Okay, so let's not go there. Oh, Jesus. So there's an there's an evil Amy inside of a music box somewhere. That's good to know. Yeah. 
okay. Yeah. You can see why I'm so passionate about choices. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, so speaking of evil Gemma, let's talk about that a little bit. <laughs> you know, that was actually a really good episode. I love this episode. It was fantastic. They are such good actors. They, they're really good actors. Well, I'm not a big fan of Fitzsimmons, but that episode was really well done. And they needed that. They needed that. Yes, that screaming match they have in the containment unit is exactly what they need to get out. It's raw and genuine. And, you know, it comes from a place of love, which is where they end up. Yeah. And, oh, my God, when Gemma turns into her seven-year-old self, I was dying. (laughs) You know, I was a bit creeped out there. I was a bit creeped out. No, I thought it was great because, like, he doesn't treat her as his girlfriend anymore. He's treating her as the little girl that she is because he has to. And she's just screaming at him, you're a butt face. Yeah, true. Yeah. And he goes down to her level. Yes. Well, he has to. He has no choice. Yeah, true. But I don't know. It was, I know they've done it in a nice way, but it was just a bit icky for me. When he gets her to re, he, he makes her jealous by talking about Ada, so that you know, real Gemma comes back, and yeah. <laughs> you know, he discovers what's in the box, and you know, it's this, it's this symbol of repression that she has, and he's just, oh my god, you are so English. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that was great, um, and you know, you could tell. I wonder how much input they had on the writing for this scene because of because of little lines like that. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they did a bit of improv over there. Yeah. And you would have to with so much emotion, so much raw uh, screaming, you would have to get a little bit of improvisation in. Yeah, and I gotta say, Zombie Gemma freaked me the fuck out. <laughs> I can't stand that, like, the creaking and the cracking and the, like, unnatural movements. That was good. Mm-hmm. Oh, the best part was when Leopold and Zombie Gemma are making out. That was the favorite part. That was hilarious. The fact that they learned a couple things from that. Like, I didn't know you do that. I didn't know you like that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But, you know, you you say that I I always just love the bad boys. Not true, because I don't care for framework fits. Not a fan. He's just a spineless little coward. Yes, man. Um, I don't like the suits. His hair looks stupid. Not a fan. Yeah. Hair looks absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, I'm I glad it. to hear that you don't like a Nazi, Nazi crazy scientist. Why, thank you. I do have, I have <laughs> That's a couple. That's a relief. I have a couple standards in there somewhere. <laughs> I can, I can dig them out from time to time. Oh, good to know. There were a couple other things I really enjoyed here. First of all, Dr. Benson, the fact that the writers made him a gay man who had once been happily married. Props to you guys. Thank you. The fact that they made him a gay man, an unhappy gay man because his his partner died, is something that it's... Have you ever heard of the trope of bury your gays? No. Okay. It is a major problem in mainstream media. Elaborate. Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Tara died. Right? Out of just random violence. Uh, There are so many other examples of queer characters who are happy together. One of the partners has to die in order for the other one to suffer. 
to be in pain. And this is something that is very common in all, all forms of media. One of the latest examples would be from the show The Hundred, where Lexa dies. And there, there's a huge uproar about it. Okay, I've never seen it, so I'll take your word for it. Yeah, I, I haven't seen it, but because I'm part of fandom in general and I am a follower of a lot of queer couples and I ship a lot of queer couples, I know about it and it is heartbreaking. Okay, in, a, in any kind of show, you have maybe four, five, six couples during the span of a show. Let's take Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., for example. All right. We have at least three canon heterosexual couples, May and Coulson, uh, Mac and Yo-Yo and Fitzsimmons. OK, we are just talking about the last couple of seasons. And then we have this one gay guy who is an alcoholic because he had to unplug his husband. Can okay. we not have one gay happy couple? OK, well, I mean, you're coming, obviously, you're obviously coming at it from a different point of view. I was not aware of any of this. Yeah. Yeah. It is a major thing that it is a sore point for a lot of uh, queer people. Okay. Of course, it is improving very, very slowly, but it is a, it is a fear that we all have. Okay. Interesting. I'm definitely going to keep my eye out for that in, you know, whatever content I consume going forward. Yeah. And, you know, too, especially looking at the, the, the men of color who have been used as tools on the show, that's one thing, you know, since you and I started this podcast, it's made me more sensitive to these kinds of issues. And I'm like, that's something that I wouldn't have picked up on six months ago, just casual, being a casual viewer of a show. Okay. Uh, I won't deny that Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is, for the most part, pretty diverse. We do have several people of color and ethnicities who are essential parts of the show. And women are badasses and they're not just only there for the for, for men, you know. But it does have its issues. One of them is being the only gay guy turns out to be unhappy and a widower. Another, of course, being a lot of these tools like Ghost Rider, Flint and Deathlock. They're all people of color and they're just brought in when convenient. Right. Yeah. So that's definitely something, um, listeners, that we're going to talk about moving forward uh, through the Marvel yeah. Extended Universe. And uh, uh, keep an eye on that also on our website, uh, on the blog, that will be issues of diversity and how people and how people of different backgrounds are represented. That's something we're definitely going to talk a lot about as we move through the Marvel uh, Extended Universe. And also uh, keep an eye out on our website because that's going to be a major component of our blog that is going to be uh, premiering next month. A lot of these episodes, we're not sure where Sarge and his team, like where their loyalties lie, what they're actually trying to do. They're trying to save the earth from this Izel creature. And, you know, they're trying to get the truth out of Sarge about who he is. Like, how does this guy relate to Coulson? Why does he have his face? And at one point, May is interrogating him when they're kind of maybe starting to trust him a little bit. And he asks about Deke. And he says, what is he? And May just looks at him and says, exhausting. <laughs> Absolutely yeah. right. I, I loved that so much. Yeah. So there's a lot of back and forth regarding Sarge. Yeah. And you kind of want to trust him. Yeah, because he's got Coulson's face. Of course, we want to trust him. Yeah. And we as the audience can relate to it because, of course, we love Phil Coulson and the, the team obviously loves Phil as well. So we kind of get where they're coming from. Yeah. And we desperately, desperately want him to get rid of this Sarge persona of his and come back and be 
Phil. Yeah, and his his crew joins forces with our beloved Shield team, and we have to talk about the crew. Yeah, we the have crew to. Is nuts. Yeah, we got to talk about this whole Deke and Snow uh, deal a little bit. This psychopath he hooks up with Snowflake. Snowflake. Yeah, yeah. those two are just going at each other at one point. There's tongues everywhere, yeah. which I didn't need. And <laughs> Daisy and May just look at each other, and Daisy's like, "Oh, I don't know which one has worse taste." And I am. And May says that one's a serial killer. Yeah, I am with her, a hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, they're they're the comic relief of the show. But yeah, that 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 Australian chick, oh, she and her butterflies. Yeah, yeah, she's trying to do like. I feel like this weird Juliet Lewis thing. Do you know what I mean? No. Like she's she's trying to play maybe like the slightly slow weirdo. That's who I feel like she's doing a an impression of um, in this season. Okay. But yeah, and then they got the the big dude who's even bigger than Mac, and it, it all it all culminates in this whole third plot line of Izel and Sarge like joining forces so that Izel can try and release these parasites on Earth and destroy everything. Yeah, that was surprising, actually, and very well played, where he is conflicted trying to listen to who he should be listening to out of these two women, and he stabs May. Yeah, that was rough. But I mean, I I knew she was going to come back, so whatever. Yeah, no, the moment is surprising. You think, okay, maybe he's going to get onto the side of S.H.I.E.L.D. And then he just fucking stabs her. So, long story short, S.H.I.E.L.D. wins. And all of a sudden, Gemma pops in at the very last moment where May is dying. Gemma brings in an upgraded version of Zephyr 1, takes May in and, and flies them off to 1931. Yes, Manhattan. Yes. And the reason why Gemma has come from the future is because it's got something to do with the Chronicoms taking over the base. And Enoch telling them that they need to change their natural course of life, which is like, eh, another day, another change. Pretty much the world's at stake again. And according to Gemma, the only way they can defeat the Chronicoms is if they have an expert in S.H.I.E.L.D. history at their side who has all his memories and because she just really misses him. Yeah, we all miss him. Her and Fitz have created LMD Coulson. Not just her and Fitz, and Enoch has has helped too. Right, right. Uh, So that's where we leave off. And uh, by the time this episode comes out... We will have seen the season premiere. So everybody keep an eye out on social media because we're going to have a lot to say and we can't wait to hear from all of you. Yeah, absolutely. So with that said, um, last week we put some stuff out on social media where we were uh, pitting the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. against some Avengers of the MCU asking everybody, hey, who do you think would win these fights? So we want to now read out uh, some of the replies that we got. Yeah, we got some fun answers. We did. Uh, yeah. So our first uh, little showdown was Melinda May versus Natasha Romanoff, the Black Widow. Right. And at Jen Phillips 721 says, Ming's a total badass. She's an inspiration in so many ways, none the least of which how many stunts she's performed herself over the years. Her whole performance has been magnificent. She really embodies the character no one else could have portrayed Agent May as well as Ming. And then we have at brand XC1, 
who said, in my world, Melinda has trained with Nat, so they are always usually neck and neck, but badass Melinda freaking May will always be the winner in my eyes. Plus... Mine too. uh, And they continue... Plus, do you not remember all the times Melinda fought against aliens that had twice her strength with a broken leg or other serious injuries and still come out on top? I would definitely not bet against her. Oh, I most certainly would not. Yeah, I mean, I got to agree. She she walked off some injuries that would have had like an NBA forward down for three months. Oh, yeah, absolutely. She's a force of nature. Torn quad? I'm fine. No problem. I don't need to rest for even a day. Yeah, a freaking piece of metal stuck in her thigh? No problem at all. And at Sam Fell 26 agrees. They say Melinda May, obviously. Uh, and next we had uh, Daisy Johnson versus Wanda Maximoff, a.k.a. the Scarlet Witch. And uh, this reply comes from the Geeks Strike Back podcast. Uh, they said, well, if Daisy had the same CGI budget as the MCU films, then definitely her. <laughs> it's a great answer. Yeah. And JMO Ducklings underscore 96 agrees and says Daisy XX. Yep. Lastly, we posted, who do you think is going to win this showdown? Coulson or Coulson? And by that, of course, we mean uh, straight-laced agent of the MCU, Phil Coulson, or rogue director in his leather jacket, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Phil Coulson. (laughs) And uh, we had a reply from at Felinda underscore AOS who said, hands down, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Coulson, pun intended. (laughs) Well played, Alicia. Yep. All right. And lastly, uh, we just want to give a shout out to Jan at Loudest Dork on Twitter. People, if you want to see some great fan-made posters, check out uh, this Twitter account. Beautifully made fan posters for season four. All right. So that closes it out for seasons one through six total of agents of shield now we are coming up on season seven of course and it will have come out by the time this episode drops now if you haven't already you're going to want to subscribe to the show today because we have a we have a whole series of minisodes that we're going to be doing for every episode of season seven and that's going to last for a while so uh hit that subscribe button so you can get your agents of shield fix all right so with the premiere upon us we want to know Email us at themarvelousmadams at gmail.com or let us know on Twitter or Instagram at marvelmadams. What would be your perfect finale for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? Thanks to all you madams for joining us today. I'm Madam Chris. And I'm Madam Amy. Assemble with us next week for our first mini-sode. Uh, please rate and review us on iTunes. And visit us on themarvelousmadams.com where infinity stones are a girl's best friend. The old dude mm. who's like, who, who does the whole, not the men like you. He's like, there are no men like me. There are always men like you. Yeah. And what's with the accent? He's German. No, he's Jewish. You do understand that German and Jewish, that one is an ethnicity and the other is a religion. Yes. Yes. Uh, okay. I'm not sure you do. There was a question mark at the end of that. Yes. <laughs> they were in Stuttgart, Germany, for fuck's sake. Of course he was German. Oh, really? They were in Germany? Jesus Christ. Have you even seen the movie? It's been a while. Oh my God.